Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, Best place to get it is go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Yep, Hurricane Michael slams into the Gulf Coast and Donald Trump goes out and holds a big campaign rally. Uh, Maybe uh, the optics of that aren't too good. Hey, what do you say, folks? Here we go on Thursday. Thursday, October 11th. Good to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Great to see you. And uh, thank you for joining us, actually. We got lots to talk about, as always, coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill. It's a little rainy day here in uh, Washington, whether or not that's uh, uh, the outskirts of Hurricane Michael. We don't know, Um, but uh, it's not a dangerous rain, just a nice nice little fall rain here in the nation's capital. Hope it's a good day wherever you are. Uh, Yes, Donald Trump out on the campaign stump a trail again last night, as he is just about every other night. He just loves the adulation he gets from those crowds, the adoration, I should say, he gets from those crowds. Uh, Meanwhile, more and more questions about the disappearance and perhaps the murder of the Saudi journalist Jared, Jared Khashoggi. A resident of the United States has been living in Virginia, hiding out in Virginia Uh, Now there are intercepts, intelligence intercepts that indicate that he could have been lured, lured into this trap at the consulate in Istanbul with a full knowledge and maybe under the orders of the Saudi royal family. Uh, Wait a minute. Isn't that guy the buddy of Jared Kushner? What's going on? So much to talk about, so much to get into, so much you're going to want to comment on. You know how to do it. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show, and we dive right in, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. A very scary moment early this morning as a Russian-made Soyuz rocket took off from Kazakhstan with two astronauts in them, NASA astronaut Nick Haig and a Russian cosmonaut, took off at about 4.40 a.m. Eastern time this morning But then there was a massive booster failure just minutes after liftoff. 
and the uh, two men had to make an emergency landing again back in Kazakhstan. Now, NASA has a live feed of all this stuff on NASA TV. Here's what it sounded like when they reported that everybody was safe. They have landed uh, in a ballistic landing uh, following today's launch a little east of Jessica's gone and uh, reporting that uh, the crew is is in communications with the rescue forces and are in good condition. Everybody's fine. Everybody landed. It's amazing. Everybody's safe. It amazing. really is. Amazing. I mean, think yeah. about that. Think you know, about that. We, we think about the Challenger, right, and what happened. I mean, yeah. Yeah, but these people are over there. These two guys um, getting a little escape pod, I guess, and come back down. Yeah, they have like a landing pod for when yeah. they, they, yeah. they were expected to come down much later, but they had to do it at sort of an emergency landing. But everything is, is fine. Uh, there's a bit of a caper in Kansas. They found an alligator on the road in Kansas. Now, Kansas is not alligator territory, and they had really no idea what to do with it because they don't have, you know, like... Yeah, right. Alli- and, you know, in Florida, right, there are people who make a living out of catching and releasing alligators. They don't have that in Kansas. So the alligator is still on the loose in uh, Basehor, Kansas. So if you're out there, folks, look out for an alligator. I think you got a team to come up from Florida, except people in Florida are kind of busy right now. They're a little busy right now, I guess. Yeah, that's a a very good point. And also, this is a fascinating new study. Uh, 30% of Americans aged 17 to 24, 30%, if they go to try and register for the Army, they are not eligible to join. You want to know why? Um, Pot. Nope. Obesity. We have a major obesity crisis here in America, and it's now actually threatening national, you know, safety and preparedness and all that. Because when people go to join, again, it, between the ages of 17 to 24, they're telling 30 percent of them you can't join because you're too overweight. By the by the way, that seems to me very young to be that fat. Yeah, if I can use that word, fat. This is the Bill Press Show. Hurricane Michael slams the Florida coast and Donald Trump goes campaigning. Yeah! Why not? He doesn't care. Hey, hello, everybody. Here we go. It's uh, Thursday, Thursday, October 11th. This is the Bill Press Show. That's what you're looking for. You're in the right place. If not, stay around for a while. Uh, You'll like it. And we like having you with us. All you regulars, all you first-timers here on the Bill Press Show, as we reach out to you coast-to-coast, in fact, all around the globe, we are there right alongside of you, whether you are joining us online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show, whether you're joining us on Free Speech TV, hello, 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 or on the radio statewide in Indiana, Indiana Talks, and all over the Chicago area, the great city of Chicago, and all the surrounding area on the great WCPT, the Progressive Voice of Chicago. Thanks so much for joining us. Remember, we've got this new um, way for you to uh, check in on the Bill Press Show. Uh, It's a brand new website called leftisright.com. I've told you about it the last couple of days. Very, very exciting. We're so so proud to be part of it. Leftisright.com. Uh, check it out. Either go to the website or download the app. The app is Political Voices Network, PVN, Political Voices Network. 
And there'll be a lot more on there right uh, eventually. But right now, it is the Bill Press Show, the Stephanie Miller Show, the Tom Hartman Show, your three strongest progressive voices on the radio, me, Tom, Stephanie, Tom Hartman, uh, all three of them. That's a that's a kind of a one-stop shop. You go there, and you got all three of us at one time leading up into the midterms. Check it out. Download the app and uh, join the fun there on the Political Voices Political Voices Network. Yes, indeed. We start out t- keeping our eye on Michael. It's quickly now been, boy, this this storm is so weird. Built up so fast and went down so fast. Built up from a tropical storm to a Category 4, category four slammed into the coast, uh, tex- uh, the Florida panhandle, just about when predicted 1, 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon, uh, particularly focused on a little town called Mexico Beach, um, and um, with winds of 155 miles an hour. Uh, so far, two deaths reported as a result of uh, Hurricane Michael. Another one similar to Hurricane Florence. Uh, this was a, a man, not a woman and a baby killed, but a man killed when a tree fell on his house. Uh, it has now moved on and is already there, I guess, or heading up to the Carolinas and Georgia where it's been downgraded to a tropical storm. But that area, so ravaged by Florence, uh, suffering such surges of high water because of Florence and such massive flooding, uh, will be getting heavy, heavy rains and even more flooding yet again. Uh, The surges down in the Florida area were uh, intense. Uh, Brock Long, yes, he is still, uh, despite his little um, financial difficulties, still the head of FEMA, he talks about the uh, water surge in the path of Hurricane Michael. Not only is it going to bring 14 feet of ocean water and coastal flood inundation, there'll be wave action on top of that, which is the primary driver of why we evacuate. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the city of Tallahassee, the storm just kind of skirted the city of Tallahassee. Um, we have friends in Sarasota, Florida, which, of course, is south of Tallahassee, Tallahassee, about halfway down the Gulf Coast, uh, who sent out an email yesterday saying that the, they, they've they been hit full bore, but not this storm because it did go north and then curved around. Uh, the mayor of Tallahassee, of course, our candidate for governor of Florida, Andrew Gillum, says, well, people say we dodged a bullet, but, you know, um, let's not jump too easily there. A lot of people believe that we dodged a bullet today, and... Um, it's hard to say if you've got a tree across your house, and so I, I want to keep that in perspective. But as we think about the potential consequences of the storm in this area, um, I've seen it uh, uh, much worse. Could have been worse in Tallahassee. Still very, very bad over again, Panama City and the Mexico Beach area. Uh, and in terms of uh, Panama City, you know, <laughs> they are they could not be clearer. The governor, Noah... FEMA, everybody is telling, get out, evacuate, evacuate. Uh, some people always stay behind. Um, and we usually play some clips of the people ahead of time who say they're going to stay. Well, here's some people who did stay in Panama City and now say they wish they had evacuated. It was terrifying, honestly. Uh, there was a, a lot of noise. The dumbest thing I've ever done in 77 years <laughs> is to stay through a hurricane. When they say evacuate again, pew, I'm out of here. Dumbest thing I've ever done in 77 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dumbo. 
Why didn't you leave? Yeah. Well, next time, he says. Next time, he'll do it, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I wouldn't count on that. I mean, look, you know. Next eva- time, he'll probably going to say, well, yeah. I don't know. I, I lived know. through the yeah. last one. I'll stay. Mm-hmm. You know, evacuating yeah. is tough for a lot of people. I get it. Right? I, I get by it. By the way, yeah, you know it is. Yeah. I mean, it's. it's, it's Where a, are you going to go? What are you going to take? It's a hu- it costs a lot of money. It's a huge disruption, right? Yeah. So, like, I get it. But, man, alive, if you can get out, if you can get out of the path, you really got to get out of the path. Yeah. You've really got to do it. I mean,. For the sake of your kids, yeah, your kids, your family, your pets, yeah, get the hell out, right? Yeah, Um, but as we said, for Donald Trump, storm raging, six hundred thousand people without power, two people killed, winds of one hundred and fifty-five miles an hour. He's the president of the United States. What's he going to do? I'll go out and hold a campaign rally, and he he said, I I couldn't cancel my campaign rally. There's no way I could cancel that because. People just want to see me. I don't want to disappoint people. Uh, they've gotten there. Some people were staying. They got there last night. I believe it starts at about 7 o'clock uh, going to Pennsylvania. So uh, we'll probably go because what are you going to do? Tell thousands of people that have been waiting there all night that we're not coming. That's not fair either. So it's a very, but we have our, it's a very difficult situation. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, what are you going to do? You do your job. You're president of the United States, Right. A freaking campaign rally. You tell them, guess what? They're more important priorities right now for the president of the United States. Imagine that's yeah. your answer. Your answer is, I have fans. I have fans. Yeah. I can't disappoint my fans. Right. It's, I, you know, it's you, crazy. You know what it is? I need that applause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I need all that attention. I need that adoration. That's all I need. And it doesn't matter what's going on. That's what I'm going to do. Uh, non-stop, non-stop campaigning that we've seen from him. Uh, again, too bad there's not one grown-up around the White House who could say, well, I'm surprised he, you know, he, I guess he might have stayed in Pennsylvania, except um, this is the day. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, uh, Donald Trump uh, probably will sign an executive order within an hour, naming this the Kanye West Day. Oh, God. Because he is coming to town today. So, yeah. Uh, did you notice all the American flags out? Did you notice the National Guard is all out? Did you notice they've closed Pennsylvania Avenue so they can escort him in from Andrews Air Force Base, you know, with the official... They'll probably have the military parade today for Kanye West you know, coming to the White House. Those are two There's guys... There's never been, never been... Any, I mean, the Pope came. Yeah. Uh, no, nothing no, compared to nothing this. compared to this. Those uh, are two guys that absolutely deserve each other. Boy, yeah. You know, what is it with that? You know, but I mean, look, we should I, stop trying to figure this. Yeah, out. I, yeah. What is it with Donald Trump and Lindsey Graham? What is it with Donald Trump and Rod Rosenstein? What is it? I think it's anybody who will kiss his ass. Yeah. Do, is Donald Trump's best friend? Yeah, especially famous people. He yes. loves famous people. He loves mm-hmm. famous people. And on top of that, Kanye West is a very famous African-American who supports Donald Trump. There are not a lot of people that look like Kanye West who support Donald Trump. And so it always, it's, it, you know, it's it's so fascinating. If you listen to how Trump talks about Kanye West, oh, God. It's, it's, so never, true. It's, it's so true. It's never about the issues. It's always about he just goes straight to African-American employment Things like that, as if Kanye West is qualified to speak on that. Right. Well, remember uh, what is again? He says, "Where's my black guy?" Yeah. Where's Where's my black? Right. Where's my black? 
Well, here he is. God. Yeah. All right. Ah, uh, Kanye West. Maybe the next attorney general. <laughs> sure. Why not? Or why not? The next Supreme Court nominee. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You don't. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Go crazy. <laughs> find some job for him. Uh, meanwhile, Donald Trump not paying, and this is really, really getting troubling. Not paying much attention at all to the disappearance, and it looks more and more like the murder of Saudi uh, Ara- Saudi Arabian journalist Kash- uh, Jamal Jared Khashoggi, who was, by the way, even all the more reason for Donald Trump to care about this. Khashoggi was living in the United States. He had fled to the United States because um, he was so harassed and so uh, and. Um, uh, and pursued in Saudi Arabia for writing articles critical of the Saudi government. Uh, he came here, was living in Virginia, uh, was a contributing columnist to the Washington Post, and as we know, um, gets uh, um, lore. Well, first of all, there he, he goes into the Saudi consulate to get the final papers for his divorce so he can marry his Turkish fiancée. Goes into the consulate. We have pictures of him going into the consulate never comes out, as we've discussed. The Saudis say, and they invite a journalist in to search the consulate, go through all the closets. What's, what's, you'll, you won't find him here, they said. <clears throat> Might find a few bloodstains. Uh, they say he exited the consulate, did his business, and then went out the back door of the consulate, which is a private, secured back door that doesn't lead anywhere. Um, and that's their, that's their story. New York Times reporting today and the Washington Post that there are intercepts now that actually the Saudi government, the royal Saudi government, the acting Saudi leader, Mohammed bin bin Salman, um, MBS they call him, young leader who's sort of the acting king of Saudi Arabia, um, that there are intercepts inviting him to come back to Saudi Arabia saying, we'll forgive you, all is forgiven, just come on back. And we'll even find a job for you somehow in the Saudi government. Khashoggi told friends about this, said he didn't trust them for one bit. There was no way he was going to risk his life going back to Saudi Arabia. But it turns out he did risk his life going into the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. Uh, And why this and Donald Trump still has said nothing more than what he said the first day. Well, I don't like this, but, you know, we'll see. It'll sort itself out. We'll see how it sorts. That's that's as strong as any condemnation he has expressed or any demand for answers and evidence from the Saudi government. Uh, and a lot of people are saying today one of the reasons is because, remember, he put Jared Kushner, son-in-law, in charge of this, and Jared Kushner has become buddy-buddy with MBS, has, dinner, has had dinner with him a couple of times, uh, calls him, and the other day when when the White House wanted to express some concern, who calls, who says anything? Jared Kushner is the one who called MBS and said, "Hey, buddy, you know what shall we say about this?" Very, very troubling. I thought that that ma- a major journalist goes missing in the Saudi consulate, last place he's seen in Istanbul, and the president of the United States has not yet condemned it, uh, or not yet demanded that they, that they uh, come up with an answer. And where is this guy, this, not an American citizen, but this man living in our country? Uh, 
Donald Trump is out there, though, on the health care issue. Yesterday, he, it's unbelievable. He wrote a pack of lies saying that Democrats want to, get this, Democrats want to destroy Medicare. Democrats want to take away the protection for pre-existing conditions. And Democrats want to prevent people from getting uh, health insurance. It is, don't we, re, don't we remember who tried to repeal Obamacare? Don't we remember who opposed Obamacare in the first place? Don't we, does he think we don't know that he has already s- sponsored legislation and signed executive orders that would gut Obamacare after they tried to repeal it, what, five times and failed? He has signed executive orders to sponsor legislation that would allow companies, insurance companies, once again to deny people because of because of pre-existing conditions. I mean, it is just the opposite of what he says, a pack of lies easily refuted. And that op-ed was published yesterday by USA Today. Now, you know, I'm all for freedom of the press, but I think... For a major publication like USA to allow the president of the United States just to put pure propaganda and publish it as if it were the God's honest truth, I think is totally irresponsible journalism. Now, I know they want to sell papers, too, and they want to get the, you know, maybe they want to get on the good side of the, of the White House. Um, but at the most, they should have allowed one piece of propaganda, if you will, from Donald Trump and then put the truth from somebody like, I don't know, Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, or somebody who knows something about health care. No, instead they just put that Donald Trump thing out there. I think the only good news is this. It shows that Republicans know that health care is a big issue in these midterms. And it also shows that they're on the losing side, and they know it, of health care. I mean, it, this is Donald Trump. Yeah, he promised uh, to sit to not, not to touch Social Security and Medicare when he was a candidate. Yet, as president, together with Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan, Donald Trump has done just the opposite again. They tried to repeal Obamacare several times, failed. So then they proceeded. We've had so many people in here to tell us exactly how they proceeded to cut Obamacare every way they can by executive action. And... By the way, yesterday the Trump administration announced, remember even last year for the sign-up period for Obamacare, they eliminated all publicity, all advertising, telling people, now's the time you got, if you, if you want to stay in, you got to sign up and here's how you do it. They did away with all that outreach to get people to sign up. Nonetheless, millions and millions of people did sign up for Obamacare. Now, this year they announced yesterday that during the enrollment period for Obamacare, they're actually going to shut down the website for maintenance. During the enrollment period, they're going to shut down the website several hours a day for maintenance. They've scheduled their maintenance right when people have to get to the website. And yet, again, USA Today publishes these pack, uh, this uh, pack of lies. Uh, um USA Today, rightfully getting a lot of criticism for that. Christopher Ray testified in front of the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee yesterday. He was called in uh, to answer some questions. Christopher Ray, FBI director, 
uh, about that um, phony FBI investigation of Brett Kavanaugh, where, remember, they were given a week. They didn't even take a week. Uh, they were uh, offered testimony from dozens of people. They talked to six people totally. Uh, they were there to investigate charges brought against Brett Kavanaugh by Dr. Christine Ford of California. They did not interview Brett Kavanaugh, and they did not interview Dr. Christine Ford either. It was a slapdash, half-ass, phony kind of report. Christopher Ray defending it, defending it yesterday, uh, and Kamala Harris pointing out, well, one thing that they um, clearly, clearly did not ask about, Kamala Harris. Did the FBI look into allegations as to whether Judge Kavanaugh lied to Congress during his testimony? That's not something I could discuss here. Yeah, in other words, no. No. Uh, well, uh, then why was this investigation so limited? A background investigation is very different, and that is done. Our only authority is as requested by the adjudicating agency. The White House in, in this, this case. case is the White House. Mm-hmm. Boom. Ah, yeah. In other words... We didn't interview Brett Kavanaugh. We didn't interview Christine Ford. We didn't talk to all those people up at Yale. We didn't talk to the professor down in North Carolina. We didn't talk to any of his classmates. Why? Because the White House told us not to. The White House told us whom we could talk to. And there it is. And whom we could not talk to. There it is. Again, the director of the FBI basically failing to lead his agency, proving that they're nothing but a political pawn, of the Trump White House. This is what we said all along. This is what a lot of Democrats yeah. said all along. Yeah, you, you and have he confirmed to have, it. Yeah, you have to have a broader thing. Uh, and Republicans and Donald Trump, they all said it was a thorough investigation. Remember Donald Trump at the swearing-in ceremony so that he was found innocent? Uh, we, we now know what they were looking at. Yeah. We now know that it was not a very big uh, – investigation to what happened and it came directly from the white house it's right there there it is it's right there just admits it that's a a scandal now if there's been a a theme this week of the show you know it is get mad get even get in response to the kavanaugh hearing what happened to the kavanaugh the whole thing the sham fbi investigation the fact that senate republicans dissed christine ford the president mocked her uh, they never follow through on any of the lies that uh, Christopher Ray. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, him too. Brett Kavanaugh told the committee all of that. We're mad about it. We're pissed off about it. Don't just get mad. Get mad and get even. November six coming up. The midterms. We can do it. We can do what Elizabeth Warren said. Take back the House. Take back the Senate. Vote Democratic up and down the ticket. Restore power to the people where it belongs. Remember in November. That's our slogan. Remember in November. But make it happen. Make it happen. Uh, And again, uh, some more evidence yesterday that came out, which shows it is eminently doable if all of us just bust our butts between now and November 6. Politico reporting. They took uh, on the generic ballot, meaning who would you prefer, Republicans or Democrats, to take back control of the House? Uh, Get this. Democrats, a 10-vote advantage now over Republicans. Again, remember, this is Mitch McConnell who says, oh, that Kavanaugh thing's going to give us all the adrenaline we need to, to motivate our base. There is zero evidence to support that. 
Donald Trump even says, all these Democrats are going to be so outraged at the way their fellow Democrats treated Brett Kavanaugh, their Democrats are all going to go out and vote Republican. Zero evidence to support that. Again, Politico, uh, Democrats or Republicans, who do you want to take over? 48, say, 48% Democrats, 38% Republicans. 10-point base. That is the highest margin in the generic ballot since 2017. Um, I'm sorry, since... uh, uh, 1997, when they first started. And 86% of all voters say they're motivated to go out and vote in the midterms. Now, it won't be 86%, but it just shows, again, people are pissed off. People yeah. are ready to go. Um, the Washington Post took a look at women. We've said before, women are going to be the key here. The Me Too movement is really, is really revved up, rightfully so. Women are really motivated. Washington Post, they look at 69, they they singled out 69 nice. house seats, battleground house seats. A college-educated white women, whom most people say are the key demographic in these midterms, here's the margin, over Republic, Democrat over Republican, 62% Democrat, 35% Republican. Holy cow. Yeah. A CNN took a look at women in general nationwide. Democrat, 33%. I mean, yeah, 58% Democrat, 33%. A 25-vote, 25-point margin. So the potential potential is out there for a big, big win. I mean, think about all the anger and rage that we've had over the last— you know, year and a half, almost two years. Yeah. Uh, it's going to express itself on November 6th. People have kept it up. People yeah. have maintained it. And they have, I mean, they've stayed mad. I mean, we've had plenty of reasons to stay mad, too. It's well, every every uh, day is a living nightmare. Well, the Republicans just gave us last yeah. week a great big fat over the weekend, a great yeah. big fat reason to stay mad. Right. Yeah. Um, and by the way, there are um, signs of, again, things that we never expected to be in play, including a great big Senate seat in the state of Texas with an incredibly effective candidate. I just read uh, John, our, our buddy John Nichols' uh, account of the Texas primary or Texas uh, Senate election in this week's Nation magazine. It's a great, great piece about uh, the enthusiasm that Beto O'Rourke gets everywhere he goes. Yesterday, the O'Rourke campaign, not the campaign, but the PAC supporting Beto O'Rourke, released uh, a great ad. This is just a Texan, an old Texan hillbilly, or country, hill hill country Texan, an older guy who just looks into the camera and talks to Ted Cruz. Somebody left something on my door the other day. Is it Ted Cruz, toughest Texas? (laughs) I mean, come on. If somebody called my wife a dog and said my daddy was in on the Kennedy assassination, I wouldn't be kissing their ass. You stick a finger in their chest and give them a few choice words. Or you drag their ass out by the woodshed and kick their ass, Ted. Come on. Ted. (laughs) That's the best part there at the end. Come on. Ted. Ted, tough as Texas, yeah. I mean, you look at Ted Cruz, it's tough, it's tough one of the first hundred words you think of when you look at Ted Cruz. Like, the word I think of is slick. Come on. <laughs> Ted. Come on, Ted. <laughs> all right. Come on. But you know what it's all going to depend on? It's all going to depend on turnout. 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 
That is the key. Joining us next, Kyle Learman is the CEO of an organization that's just built to whip up turnout in this these midterm elections when we all vote. He joins us next. We're going to tell us uh, how we're going to pull it off here on the Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Take the Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. And on a Thursday, October 11, uh, here we go. Good to have you with us today. As we boom out to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., where we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Teachers, the great men and women, Teachers of America, making a difference in the classroom every day, you bet, under the leadership of uh, President Randy Weingarten. Uh, We salute them. They're doing the Lord's work, and we thank them for the support of the program. Check out their website at AFT.org. As we mentioned, uh, it is turnout, turnout, turnout that counts um, when we all vote, and let's hope the great majority of us vote on (laughs) November 6th. A great organization headed by Kyle Learman, who joins us in studio. Hey, Kyle, nice to see you. Bill, great to be here. Thank you. Uh, we've been at it for a little bit before you stepped in. Uh, and so some comments, Peter, yes, from indeed. our viewers and listeners around the country. A couple of different comments. You can find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Uh, let's just start out with the Kanye West stuff. Because <laughs> Kanye oh. West is coming here uh, to meet with Donald Trump it's today. It's Kanye West Day. It's Kanye yeah. West Day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, didn't you see all the banners uh, out in the street outside? <laughs> right. I mean, yeah, right. On Twitter. In fact, I'm surprised it's not a national holiday. Yeah. It will be I might as well take the day off. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Audio Jode on Twitter. <laughs> Kanye West is here for UN Ambassador. UN Ambassador. Uh, that's a horrifying thought, but stranger things have happened, I guess. Or Attorney General. I'm telling. I'm pulling for Attorney General. Yeah. Uh, and Ron points out on Twitter, to our point, it all comes down to turnout with the midterms. He says, uh, turnout begins now in some states. I've already voted, so now I'm covered. California uh, started last week. Early voting is a real thing. Make sure you do it. Get out there and do it. There's a situation going on in Georgia right now uh, where 53,000 voters are being dis enfranchised and Stacey Abrams just said we have got to vote early get the absentee ballots in like right now uh, if you have a question or a comment on anything on any topic at any time find us on Twitter at BP show BP show all right thank you Peter yes indeed and thank you all uh, for your comments keep them coming at BP show when we all vote uh, what's the goal Kyle? so our goal is to get as many eligible Americans <laughs> registered not to vote Across the country, pretty simple. Um, you know, Mrs. Obama, uh, who was Sorry, one of our, I should say yeah. she is. Uh, this is a she's uh, co-chaired the effort with Tom uh, Hanks and Janelle Monae and Lynn Manuel Miranda and Faith Hill and Tim McGraw and Chris Paul. All great, know, great group, great, yeah. great trusted yeah. voices, and get as many folks registered now to vote as possible. Uh, nonpartisan nonprofit, and then also really starting to change the culture around voting in this country and make it a normal thing to do. You know, back in two thousand and eight, I worked on the Obama campaign. Um, then and we did a ton of voter registration and uh, turnout efforts, but still, even with the most turnout there's ever been in our history, there are 80 million people uh, that sat on the sidelines. And then you saw a huge drop off. That was in, 2008. That right? was 2008. Yeah, and with all tw- that energy, all that excitement, 80 million people. Um, 2014 lowest voting rate since uh, World War II uh, in the 2014 midterms. So we really felt like we needed to take a little bit of a di- different track. 
Uh, this isn't about any one issue. It's not about any one candidate. It's about the fact that voting is fundamental to who we are as Americans. It's fundamental to our democracy. And our country is much stronger when everyone participates. So uh, amen to that. Um, are, what, are, I know you had a big rally in Florida with yeah, First Lady. Um, and are there other rallies like that? And I mean, you've got a great lineup of celebrities who <laughs> do help. Um, motivate particularly millennials, younger people, to get out and well, how important it is. You know, right now it's really all about motivation and information. And so we need to make sure we're getting the information out to as many people as possible about when and where and how to vote uh, and still how to register in some states. You know, the registration deadline's coming up in New York tomorrow, for example. I know. Um, but we did. We had uh, over 2,500 rallies across the country uh, during our week of action uh, from September 22nd to uh, 29th, that event with Mrs. Obama yeah. um, in uh, Miami was Miami. certainly the biggest one um, and was incredible, over 4,500 people there. But Tom Hanks hosted one in Pittsburgh. Chris Paul hosted one in Houston. Faith Hill hosted one in Nashville. Hmm. Um, Janelle Monet hosted one at uh, Spelman College in Atlanta, which was a wonderful event. Um, tons of energy. Over 200,000 people participated in one way or another in our week of action, going to an event, hosting an event, attending an event, and helping register voters across the country. Right. Um, are there what, – what interest level do you – I mean, I saw a piece last week, uh, kind of went viral. I was a young reporter for NBC who was out on a campus <laughs> in California because the registration start – or the early voting started yeah. last week in California. And there are some really important races in California. I mean, everything is up just about. You yep. know, governor, all the statewide offices. But there are about seven congressional seats in California that could determine the future of the United States House, yep. right? Particularly even, I'm, I don't know whether you know, I'm a former Democratic state chair of California. Oh, nice. Right. So <laughs> I know that area well. And Orange County, which was considered, you know, the ground zero yeah. of the Republic, conservative Republican effort— there are about five seats there that could flip from Republican to Democrat. My point is, so this reporter goes in Orange County, goes down there, talks to some young people who are just coming out of school. They're 18 years old, and not one of them had registered to vote. And I just went, God, what's going on? No, yeah. well, it's funny. I saw what that. Kind of reaction ja Jacob Soberoff, I think. That's his name. Um, yeah. And, you know, I saw that, and I just said, we still got a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it, the, the most important thing now is friends talking, you know, this army of folks around the country who care about the elections, who care about participation, who care about our democracy, making sure that they're not just voting themselves, but they have to start a conversation with their friends, with their family members, with their neighbors, with their colleagues about voting um, and, you know, getting them that information. People just often don't know and then don't know how much it counts. And I think that, uh, you know, the folks that we sit here in D.C., we discount that so much. We think that people are thinking about this every day, every night. That's just not the, where most Americans are. And so it's important for us to have that conversation with everyone. And uh, the most influential thing we can do is start that conversation with our friends and family. Yeah. And we have learned um, the hard way that um – Every vote counts, right? I mean, I keep thinking about this one race in Virginia. Oh last my gosh! Year, which was, <laughs> it went on and on. <laughs> went on and on. Finally decided by a flip of a coin. Yep. Right. Uh, and one vote there would have made literally a one. They wouldn't have had to flip. The literally coin. one vote. Literally one vote. It's yeah. it's incredible. And you know, in states, I think uh, <laughs> you know the the, the average uh, votes per precinct that needs to swing for to change an election is really low. I mean, we're talking. 
dozens of votes. Um, and then there's those races like that one in Virginia where it's just one. Um, and so the idea that one's vote doesn't count is couldn't be further from the truth. But again, people, um, you know, just it, it, it is not inherent for everybody in this country, the way some of some of us who are really active and engaged in a, in a robust way to think about how much their vote, vote matters. So that's why those conversations are so important. And the other so it seems to me that um, the obstacles that you face. Certainly one of them is, as we've been discussing, just a lack of motivation or a lack of information yep. right, among potential voters, yeah. particularly young people. Is that? Yeah, it's that, true. I think you know, older people tend to be registered more. Well, I think, older, yes, older t- people tend to be registered more. The thing that I said I've seen that's been wonderful over the course of the last uh, few months as I've been running this initiative is we've seen a really huge outpouring of support from um, artists and athletes and YouTube stars and influencers who can spread the word on social media in a really big way. And so um, we are getting the word out through that in an incredible way uh, and making sure that on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and Snapchat, folks are are seeing this information. But I also, you know, Did Taylor Swift help. Absolutely. I mean, anybody who talks about this and Taylor Swift, I mean, I, I think she's got like 100 million Instagram followers right. or something. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just incredible. And I was so happy that she put at the end a call to action to folks to register to vote. Um, you know, some folks just talk about what they care about or the issues, but you've always got to make sure you're including the information that people need to get. And she uh, directed folks to vote.org, which is a wonderful organization to register and get the information they need to vote. And the thing, though, I'll just say, and I think you'll appreciate this just state by state, it's there's so many different rules. There are so many different yeah. deadlines. We're in the middle of this. There's basically like a deadline every day for voter registration. So. Um, you know, unfortunately, over the years, people have made it more and more difficult for folks to register. Um, and so it's really an information game at this point. Yeah. that I was just going to add that in addition to the lack of motivation or lack of information, then you've got the obstacle of state after state after state trying to make it more difficult to vote rather than easier to vote. And it's a deliberate move to suppress the vote. I mean, you cannot get away from it. These are red states. They don't want more people to, they certainly don't want more people of color or more younger people to vote well and you know they, and so they throw up all these obstacles like you're going to college you can't vote where you go to school you have to go home to register you got to go home to vote they shorten the early voting period yep. or eliminate it entirely no my wife's a dartmouth grad uh, and they just made it incredibly difficult in new hampshire for college students to vote which is really unfortunate and so she's fired up about that you know, the history of our country is a history of expanding voting rights. And uh, whether it was women. Used uh, to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. And so, but I, what I was yeah. going to say is I feel like whenever we take it for granted, we take a few steps back. <laughs> and it's, uh, we have to just be vigilant. We have to elect leaders that care about expanding access to voting, expanding access to our democracy, not uh, uh, making it harder. And, um, and then, you know, I wish we had more time to fight back against those laws. But right now it's really, um, you know, we can't change those rules. It's right. really about, you know, you, play, the rules of the game have been set. It's about getting that information to people, even though it's complicated sometimes. Right. You've got to be you have to work right now with the rules that are in place yep. uh, and, and 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 not wish that they were different. Yep. Or you can wish that they were different, but not dif- <laughs> wish, wish. But yes, yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, but OK. So why do we vote on Tuesday? So. I'd imagine it's partially because people wanted to make it hard. Um, and uh, I mean, there's no, no sense why we have to vote on Tuesday. No, right. it, it is. Um, 
I remember uh, back in uh, my days on the Obama campaign in 2008, in the primary in South Carolina, the election, the primary election in South Carolina was on Saturday, and it was great. Folks hmm. could, you know, it, everyone had more time, and you know, there's conversations about you know making uh, election day a holiday, and while I'm, I'm all for that, it still wouldn't be a right. holiday for the majority of right. folks in this country, and right. so yeah, Tuesday is a barrier, and so that's why. Early voting is so important. That's why getting the word out about absentee voting is so important because absolutely it just doesn't make any sense. Are there are there signs that early voting early voting has increased turnout, hasn't it? Yes, I think it has, uh, you know, but it's hard to say because you have election cycles like 2014 that are so bad. And there was a lot more early voting in, in 2014, mm-hmm. for example, mm-hmm. than there was in 2010. But uh, voter participation went down. So. We can't get complacent and just say, oh, well, if people can vote on Saturdays, they're going to vote on Saturdays. That doesn't mean you don't have to do all the campaigning and the organizing and the spreading the word and getting the information out. Uh, By the way, as we talk, uh, you want more information. We can never cover everything in uh, 20 or 25 minutes together. Uh, Check out the website, whenweallvote, all one word, whenweallvote.org. Exactly. Right. Yep. Um, So uh, I mentioned early voting. Another thing it seems to me that would help. Um, I just believe, even though the American people have made some pretty dumb mistakes, the still I still believe that the more people who vote, the better off we are and the better government we have. And that's now, the premise that, of the that campaign. That may be somewhat naive, but that's, <laughs> I do believe that. I mean, no, and I think at a minimum, when we all vote, we're making the decisions for ourselves. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, another way of putting it. Yeah, um, right. You know, I, I, I like to think about it as um, election day and your you know. We live in Washington, D.C. You know, we're here in Washington, D.C. I live in Silver Spring. Um, you know, there's special interest groups and folks who've got a lot of money and people that are pushing their agendas. The only day where it's a level playing field, the only action that we can all take that's a level playing field is voting. And, you know, when we all vote, we might not, you and I might not agree with every policy that's made if everybody voted, but I think we'd agree that it would be the will of the folks in this country at large and not just a few people trying to push their agenda. But on that day, at least, my vote is as important as Michael Bloomberg's vote. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's the beauty of it, right? Uh, So uh, another way that it seems to me we can make it easier for people to vote, being able to register to vote on election day. You show up, you can register, and you vote. And I'm. it's sort of the the concept of registration should sort of go out the window. You know, it should sort of be, everyone should be automatically registered to vote. It shouldn't be, so yes, you show up on election day, but any, I guess what I mean is any eligible American should be able to vote. Just vote, go to, go up, show up at the polling location, show, show up at an early voting location, show up at a, uh, or send in your absentee ballot. Um, we know we all get that card when we're 18 um, mm-hmm. for military service. That should be the moment that you're registered to vote. Uh, what's the experience with, um, I know uh, the state of Oregon um, several years ago went to all by mail, mail. Vo- all voting by mail. And I believe that they have a very, very high percentage of people who do so. It's so easy, right? Just drop it back in the mail. No, it's so super easy, super secure. No, you know. Yeah, they've had no issues. Zero evidence of and fraud. And so that's, um, I'm sort of of the mindset of as many ways as possible, um, just so that you give folks the options that they have. But Oregon has seen a ton of success um, and it's really heartening. I mean, and I think it shows that if if access is increased, if you make it easier for people, that more people will do it. 
Um, and so I think it's important for fo- folks to look at states like Oregon that are doing it really well. All right. So the extreme is, I believe, Australia. If you don't <laughs> vote, you get a fine. You do. Yeah. I don't think, yes. I don't think we're going there anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go there. But... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, no. And the other piece that is important, too, I think, is and you mentioned uh, you're sponsored by AFT. Um, Randy Weingarten, wonderful leader. Great. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Started as a civics teacher. And civic education in our schools is also so important just to make sure that we're not uh, – I mean, we're, we're do, doing a lot of catch-up with wait, folks who do don't they, understand. Do they teach civics anymore, schools? Uh, they, they, there are certainly some school districts that do it more than others. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it's so important that not only are we doing the information to the folks that are over 18, but that we're laying the groundwork through civic civics education in our K-12 system and college yeah. as well. Yeah, absolutely. So. Again, back to this NBC piece, these, these kids were walking out of school – and not only did they have had shown zero interest in politics or zero a level of information about the issues, yeah, but they had not. Richard, you would think in that school <laughs> that it would be almost mandatory, right? You turn eighteen, they give you a voter registration form. No, it's as part of their civic education. And there are some schools that do it a lot. Colleges that do it a lot better than others. There's an organization called the All In Campus Democracy Challenge that literally challenges colleges and universities to across the country to increase uh, their uh, voting rates. Um, and they've been doing really great work. Um, th- they've done something with the Big Ten schools that's called the Big Ten Challenge. Um, so the Big Ten schools are challenging each other to see who can get uh, the most huh. votes. Yeah. And as you know, the Big Ten schools are pretty competitive. Uh, and so they're taking that seriously. Actually, the one really cool thing I saw was at the, one of the University of Michigan football games, the marching band spelled out vote on the field. Oh, no. Which really? was really nice. That's so cool. There, yeah. there no, are instances a... like the California interview, but then there are schools that are really doing it well and um, getting the word out in a really big way. All right. So this is the 11th of October. Um, we're clearly uh, – the exact number of days. I think it's 26 now or 25 Gosh. days to the midterms. <laughs> yes. Uh, so in the next 26 days, let's say, what are your plans? What can you do? What are you planning? And what can – people do to help spread the word. Absolutely. So starting on Monday, we're, we're still focused on registration because there are a few more huge states that are still uh, to go. Still to go. Um, so in some states, you can still register. Exactly. And, and I'm sure you can find out at whenweallvote.org which yep. states. Da, da, da. Exactly. Right. And then Monday, we're going to turn our website into a, a get out the vote website um, that really is about getting you're still you'll still be able to register there in the states where you can uh, still register, but it's really going to be focused on making sure that folks have their polling place uh, information, making sure that folks know when and where they could early vote, if they can vote by mail. Um, and so, and then we're going to launch a campaign calling on everybody to create their voting squad. Um, and we're going to ask people to get five friends or family members uh, ready and out to vote uh, and send folks to our website to make their plan to get out to vote. Are they going to vote on Election Day? Are they going to vote early? Are they going to vote absentee? We actually have a tool on our website starting Monday that will allow folks to see their entire ballot uh, and look mm. through it and learn mm-hmm. about the candidates. Um, and so we're going to do sort of full-scale public awareness push uh, that is focused on asking people to talk to their friends and family. And so that's going to be our huge push. One other thing that we're trying out this year that's shown some evidence in the past of success is that we're partnering with an organization called Vote Together to host parties at polling locations, literally nonpartisan block parties at polling locations. Huh. And it's actually been shown to- you mean in, outside the outs- place where people 
exactly. Where people vote. So think about it like a community a community event. You know, you go to your local farmers market or your local block party in your neighborhood. Um, that's what we're going to do uh, with vote together on election day at, at a bunch at about two thousand polling locations across the country. Um, and it's it's actually been proven to to increase turnout by up to four percent, which, as I'm sure you know, is is pretty significant. Um, and so we're looking forward to that. And folks should come out and uh, hang out at one of our poll parties because it'll be a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun, like a block party. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Again, weallvote.org. When I'm sorry, whenweallvote.org. Check it out. Whenweallvote.org. Now, um, Kyle, I don't know whether um, this could take off nationwide, but um, I, I'm thinking about when I was Democratic state chair of California, um, we came up with um, a rather unusual way of encouraging people to vote. <laughs> Peter, I think I've told you about this. I've heard this. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. We actually uh, made a deal with donut shops. <laughs> Seriously. In certain uh, counties or precincts or key districts where that we were really pushing – uh, and if people took their voting stub after they voted yes. and took it to a donut shop, they got a dozen donuts. Love a it. Three dozen donuts. Love it. So there, it was it was the donut campaign, and people <laughs> gave us. We got a lot of criticism for it, a lot of hell for it, but it wasn't illegal, no. and we were just encouraging people. You, you, now got, maybe the health is. Maybe we should have said. You get an apple or a dozen <laughs> apples healthy. or something, something healthy. Ooh, that wouldn't help. That wouldn't help. Today you can't we can buy my vote with an apple. You can buy my vote with a dozen donuts. <laughs> Today we might have to say a bottle of V8 juice or something. Oh. Oh, no, but but donuts. Well, you, you, Krispy creams. <laughs> I've got to send you the video of Tom Hanks in Pittsburgh. Because he talks about this. He said, all you need to get folks to vote is a box of donuts. <laughs> oh, no, yes. right. oh, whoa, really? <laughs> yes. Now, there are some seal. places where you Wait can't minute. give we out. We did this in Southern California. Okay. So he may have heard about Maybe it. Maybe he heard about <laughs> it. <laughs> right. I Come actually on. went to my, um, my sister's estate delegate in Baltimore City. And I was knocking on doors for on election day and then went out uh, and in, in the primary in June. And I went to a, uh, we went to a bar after election day. And you get 10% off your beer. For for uh, with, if you had your I voting sticker, so beer or donuts, there I you think go. either would work well. The two major food groups, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so anyway, there are all kinds of clever ways, right? You could do it, but uh, I like your idea. Get some friends together and take your friends out to vote, and then go out and have a pop, right? Or yeah, get enough friends together and, and have a party, right? At the Absolutely. Place. Uh, are there any of the is um. Mrs. Obama going to be out doing any more rallies? That, we'll see. We're we're finalizing our plans for this last stretch here. She's um, got a little book tour coming up, so she'll she be does. a little busy. But you know, well, and she, part of the message of the book tour can be, hey, you know, she's going to have huge crowds there. Get out and vote. Absolutely, I'm sure it will be. And there's, her. you know, she's been wonderful. She she did two events for us: the one in Miami that you mentioned, and she also did an event in Las Vegas. We had almost three thousand people at an event in Las Vegas. Filled it. It was at capacity uh, at a high school. And she's been helping us really spread the word on. She has great social media channels, and she's been doing some PSAs. Any for plans us. for uh, President Obama himself to be out there with the same message? Well, he's so um, Mrs. Obama is really focused on this because it's a nonpartisan effort, and she was really passionate about making yeah. sure that this was nonpartisan. Uh, President Obama has been out on the campaign trail, um, hitting the hitting the um, folks for for candidates across the country. So right, great to see him doing that. Yeah. He put out a list of candidates that he's endorsing, and then he's been on the road. I'd like to see him more on the road, but he has been on the road for some candidates. <laughs> yes. Because, you know, he's still – I don't know whether 
he or Bill Clinton are the most popular politician in the country. I think it's Barack Obama. He can still draw Obama. a crowd. I think it's Barack Obama, yeah. He can <laughs> yes. still draw a crowd for sure. It's great what you're doing. So important. Thank you so much for helping me spread the word and having uh, me on. And here we go again with When We All Vote, whenweallvote.org. Check it out. Do what you can. And most importantly, encourage your friends to do their civic duty uh, and turn this country around. Thanks, Kyle. It's great to see you. Thanks so much for having me on, Bill. When we come back, our good friend from HuffPost, Travis Waldron, uh, bring us up to date, among other things, on the pretty scary situation down in Brazil where a real Trumper has a chance of becoming the president. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary and every week, We put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hurricane Michael slams into the coast of Florida and Donald Trump goes off and holds a big campaign rally. That's how much he cares. Hey, what do you say, everybody? Great to see you today on a Thursday, October 11. Here we go. The Bill Press Show live on a Thursday morning from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action. Well, things have slowed down a little bit. The House is actually out of town. The Senate lingering around because Mitch McConnell doesn't want those Democrats being able to go out there and campaign for re-election. He wants to keep them here in Washington, D.C. And down at the White House, uh, Donald Trump making rare appearances at the White House in between campaign rallies where he is out there uh, already rallying and running for re-election in 2020, no matter what else is going on in the country. We'll bring you up to date on all of the above and a whole lot more. Look forward to hearing from you on your comments and your comments about the news of the day on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, Joining us in studio from HuffPost, our good friend, uh, Travis Waldron, who's been all over the globe reporting recently, particularly in Latin America. Hello, Travis. Good to see you. You too. Thanks for having me. And we still think of you as our sometimes sports reporter. Occasionally. Occasional, right? Yeah. Yeah. When everything else settles down enough. You haven't lost your total interest in what's going on in the... Not totally, no. And we've got the Major League Playoffs, which you've got to get me excited about because (laughs) with the Nats not there, I've sort of been following it. My excitement has waned since the elimination of the Atlanta Braves. Yeah. The NL East champion, Atlanta Braves. (laughs) (laughs) Get out of here. Well, you know, he's a loyal fan. You You have to give him that, right, indeed. 
Okay, we got lots to talk about. Again, want to hear from you, your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this Peter. is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news. Let's go to North Dakota. In fact, Mandan, North Dakota, the Spirit of Life Church was holding its 9 a.m. service earlier this week when a man walked in, stripped down completely naked, and took a dip in the holy water fountain. <laughs> This is not something you're supposed to do. I'm not Catholic, but I, I understand this is not how it works. But most holy water fountains are a little small. I don't think it stopped this guy because, Bill, he was on meth. He walked in. It turns out uh, he was on drugs. No. He decided to take a dip in the holy water. <laughs> so now they had to empty the holy water and go through a uh, what they described as a $500 deep clean. Uh, then they have to, of course, bring in new holy water uh, on top of all of that. There were 75 people at Mass when the incident happened. Oh, it's the Catholic Church? Yeah. And a guy just walks Again, in. they just have little things where you dip your fingers in. I can't believe a guy could. Okay. Uh, a witness said that he started to splash around in the holy water fountain. <laughs> he, quote, this is from a, a witness, quote, dipped his rear end into the water. <laughs> so, so they had to empty all the holy water, get it cleaned, and uh, hopefully they'll they'll have that sorted out. But John, the, John the Baptist. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Uh, by the way, th you know uh, the, the the Dow did not do great yesterday, and oh, global markets around did not the do world. Great. Wait a minute. It crashed 800 no, points. Yeah, okay. It was I very, mean, very bad here but, in America, but it was also really bad around the world. In fact, global markets yesterday. Uh, it ended up the uh, Forbes uh, list of 500 wealthiest people in the world lost 99 billion dollars yesterday. It was the second steepest one-day drop according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index. In fact, Jeff Bezos personally lost 9.1 billion dollars yesterday alone. Don't feel too bad for him. His net worth is now only a measly, a paltry. One hundred forty-five point two billion dollars. That's now, the lowest been, that it's been since July. When you could lose nine billion and not even notice it, you got too much money, right? Yeah, I think so. It's I don't know money. how he's going to get by. Yeah, poor guy. No, yeah, I lost a dollar and a half yesterday, <laughs> and uh, I'm really hurting today. Right. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you say? Here we are on a big Thursday, Thursday, October 11. Hello, everybody. Great to see you. Welcome to the program, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill. A little rainy morning here in Washington, D.C., but we'll get over it. Uh, we got nothing compared to uh, poor people of Florida, and now it looks like the Carolinas and Georgia next in line. For what is left of a hurricane, Michael, it was at its worst when it hit uh, the Florida Panhandle yesterday, uh, early yesterday afternoon, uh, with winds of 155 miles an hour. Now reduced to a tropical storm heading for Georgia and the Carolinas, which are still suffering and still recovering from the impact of Hurricane Florence. We're coming to you live again from Washington, D.C., and joining you all across this great land of ours on online. On YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. 
How about it? Looking at you on Free Speech TV and on the radio in the great WCPT out in the greater Chicago area. Thanks so much for being part of the program. Uh, again, send your comments on the news of the day uh, to us on Twitter at BP Show, and join me in saying join me in saying hello to Travis Waldron from uh, HuffPost, general reporter there covering all good things at HuffPost. Travis, it's good to see you. Uh, and you've been writing a lot about something that not many people are talking that much about, Brazil. Um, first of all, you were down there for the Olympics, right? Down there for the Olympics and then again uh, earlier this year. Yeah, right. And the political situation in Brazil is pretty scary. Isn't it? It's not great. It's yeah. not great. They had a uh, first round of presidential elections on Sunday, this past Sunday, and elected, well, not quite elected yet, but a, a far-right <laughs> candidate who has praised the military dictatorship that ruled Brazil from 1964 to 1985 finished just short of a clear majority. So there's going to be a runoff later this month in which he'll be going against a candidate from the leftist Workers' Party, which has won the last four presidential elections in Brazil. Is it an open seat, right? Uh, Well, no, there's yet the incumbent is not. Running is not running. No, his his approval ratings were somewhere between three and eight percent for the last two years so not a lot of oh that's better than donald trump <laughs> uh, no actually it's um, not, but anyhow uh right so so you got um workers party basically on mm-hmm. the left and this guy who uh, what's his name jair bolsonaro bolsonaro mm-hmm. a real trumper correct yeah he he gets compared a lot to donald trump uh, because i think everyone now when the far right around the world is kind of everybody seeing it through the lens of of trump and what happened here in reality, he's probably more comparable to Rodrigo Duterte. Uh, he's promised to expand Brazil's war on drugs. Uh, he wants to give the cops what he calls carte blanche to to shoot alleged criminals on sight. Uh, this is a country that's already... Like Duterte does. Yes. Yeah, has done um, in the Philippines right. and, bra- yeah, and brags about it. And he said, you know, he he's unveiled plans to basically just let the, the cops go into favela neighborhoods and, and start shooting indiscriminately at drug gangs and... It's a in a country that's already extremely violent. They've had more uh, more than sixty thousand homicides in each of the last two years, um, and in a country that where that violence is increasingly coming from the police, not just the drug gangs, but also targeting police. I mean, you have I think there were more than four thousand police killings there last year. The vast majority of victims are black, uh, but also the number of police who've been killed is through the roof. Um, it's a it's a bad situation. He's promising more violence. He's also been uh, very anti-LGBTQ people. Uh, he's targeted indigenous Brazilians. He's extremely anti-feminist. He's, you know, you pretty much go down the line and, and there aren't too many people he hasn't promised some sort of violence or retribution against. Where's his support come from? Is it that it, times are tough and so people are just looking for somebody who could... That's the that's the short version. I mean, Brazil since 2014 is the economy collapsed after more than a decade of extreme growth. Uh, the commodities boom really destroyed the helped destroy the economy. There were other problems too, but uh, you have a massive corruption crisis in the political system that has kind of drained faith in that. They've impeached a president. They've had another president put in prison on corruption charges. You have the violence going on, and I think there is sort of a a, a desire for a savior. Um, and Bolsonaro to a lot of people is that his 
base of support. He has he he draws support from across the kind of political spectrum and across the socioeconomic spectrum. But if you actually look into the numbers, a lot of a lot of his support comes from conservative evangelical Christians. There's a rising evangelical movement in Brazil who oppose a lot of what the leftist governments have done uh, in terms of social progress, like progressive policies. Uh, and then he he has a growing base of support among elite wealthy Brazilians who uh, don't want the left to come back to power. There's a, there's a lot of fatigue with the left there in terms of uh, the corruption that occurred under the Workers' Party. Corruption has occurred under pretty much every party in Brazil, but the Workers' Party is seen as the face of it because former mm-hmm. President Lula da Silva uh, was convicted last year. Uh the left takes most of the blame for for its um, role in the economy, even though the the centrist parties also played a role in that as well. And they've been hammered. The centrist parties have lost almost everything um, in Congress and barely registered in the the presidential race. And Bolsonaro's filled that vacuum, uh, yeah. and it's a it's a scary situation. I think in the global context of the growth of the right wing, he's the most uh, immediately dangerous and scary. And you know- We've seen this, of course, in Hungary. We've mm-hmm. seen this in um, France. The right failed in France, but but pretty powerful with Le Pen, uh, daddy, and then Le Pen daughter. Right, right, uh, and other countries as well. Why should we care about Peter? I'm sorry, you started. No, I, I was going to say. I think we're going in the same direction. I think that Donald Trump looks at a lot of these people and wishes he could do what they're doing, like Duterte. Uh, or Bolsonaro, like he he wishes he could go as far as they do, right? And so, like, what's the danger? F- like, when you look at it globally here in America, I think that's true. I also think that they, you know, Bolsonaro has really modeled himself off of Trump. He's he's really yeah. gone around the traditional media structures uh, into social media, which WhatsApp is huge in Brazil as a kind of news spreading source, and a lot of fake news and and really, you know just totally made up stuff going around and uh you know he he uses twitter and facebook he's got huge following so he's model and it, and even his style while he was already you know kind of radical in his rhetoric and things he's seen in people like orban orban and hungary and uh trump here that there's not necessarily a penalty for that that people don't believe it they don't it's seriously not literally right uh as for why it, it matters here i mean brazil is the fourth largest democracy in the world it's one of the mm. top 10 economies in the world it's a massive partner of the united states in trade mm. um it's the largest of latin america's democracy it's it's a hugely influential country in the global south in in latin america um and it it plays a vital role in what well, the crises of our time it's the largest non-nuclear power in the superpower in the world it uh has pretty good relations with all of the countries that sort of have sharp elbows, us, Russia, mm-hmm. China. Um, it, it's going to play an incredibly major role in climate change, fighting climate change. Bolsonaro mm-hmm. doesn't have clear uh, environmental policies, but it seems pretty clear that he's not going to do anything to stop I, deforestation. I thought he was a pretty out-and-out out skeptic about climate change. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, he said he wants to pull them out of the Paris Accord, which yeah, it's, right. it's going to be hard for him to do, but... The bigger concern immediate well, than the Paris Accord is Brazil's made a lot of progress on greenhouse gas emissions, on reforestation of the Amazon. Uh, he could reverse that. And if we you know, lose the Amazon, 
we're going to lose yeah a lot more than that and and then the broader thing is that you know brazil is a lot like us in the sense that it's a continental sized multicultural democracy and uh with a lot of challenges that mirror our own when it comes to uh regional influence uh when it comes to um you know increasingly immigration given the venezuela crisis and when it comes to civil rights and lgbtq rights and and equality for women and you know on down the list it, their their black population is much larger than ours but you know it is a multicultural democracy dealing with the that needs to deal with the, its legacy of slavery and segregation mm-hmm. uh and has many of the same challenges we do and so while i think our lens tends to go uh to europe because those are our kind of you know brothers and sisters in liberal democracy historically there are a lot of things that we can learn from brazil and a lot of things that we're going to deal with similar challenges as brazil and and it, it's not some you know backwater country that you know we should ignore it's a, it's a massively influential nation and with a 220 million people well p- part of the fact that we don't pay more attention to what's happening in brazil is really it, it, it is it reflects the history of the united states and being much more eurocentric correct and, and we have we have either ignored latin america or treated it as a colony correct uh, central america and in south america right it's it's i i, I think it's a dis- disgraceful but that's the way the american history has been but um and and i think your point about yes donald trump admires these um um autocrats or right wingers mm-hmm. uh, around the globe but they also draw a lot of their strength from him and they said, look, if Donald Trump can say this about journalists right. in the United States of America, mm-hmm. we can certainly do it here. Well, right? it's, it's not just that. It's uh, uh, You know, I was talking to people about the, the fact that, you know, financial elites and Wall Street and, and the wealthy have gotten behind this guy. And, and you know, why? He's not traditionally neoliberal, market-friendly guy. He's, he's playing one now, but he's, that's not traditionally his view. And the answer that a trader in Sao Paulo told me was, well, we can look to the United States and see that the economy is flying. Unemployment is at record lows. You know, things are going great. The market until yesterday yeah, right. uh, is soaring. And, you know, it makes it easy for a lot of those people to ignore the other things Donald Trump has done. Sure. To ignore yes. to yeah. and say, Absolutely. well, Brazil Brazil's economy needs to get going. Donald Trump has the economy flying. Why not this guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, just one quick little note here. Do he still speak Portuguese? Portuguese. Why? <laughs> I mean, I know why, but <laughs> but but why haven't they changed? I don't know. But well, speak American. Why haven't you speak changed? American? <laughs> <laughs> it just always strikes me as weird. It's a fun you know? language. Very well, hard. I, I'll take I'll take your word for it. But uh, just it's it's a reflection of the colonization, of course, at, yes. at a time when Portugal was a colonial power, right? And I think that's that's all that's left, right? Of their colonies is not all that's left, but, but it's a big the, part of it. The Portuguese language uh, in, in Brazil. Uh, so let's come back to the American sports scene here, um, <laughs> uh, Peter. Bring so. Uh, seriously, I, uh, since the Nats didn't make it, I've paid so little attention to the playoffs here. And we're not yet at the Final Four, right? We are. 
We are. Okay. Yeah, we got the final four. Remember, we, I, I made you choose. <clears throat> you had to choose. Well, you tried to make me choose. Well, you have a team. The Dodgers. Filthy Dodgers from Los Angeles. <laughs> I have to say that as a Nats fan. I, I don't like the Dodgers. I'm sorry, but the the Nats okay. are not a player anymore. No, I know. So that's I, I'm not going to root for the Nats. Like, you're not going to root for the Braves. Okay. So it's Dodgers and uh, it, so now it's down to the it's the the series is it's Astros uh, versus the Red Sox who yeah. beat the the uh, Yankees right and you got the Brewers and the Dodgers that's it okay and game one is uh, tomorrow Friday and Saturday. actually tomorrow yep. tomorrow yeah tomorrow is when the Dodgers Brewers game series starts uh, and but the Red Sox obliterated the Yankees they did yeah and they but the Astros are tough too. That's gonna be a, that's gonna be the best series we see. Yeah. That's gonna be better than the World Series, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think the the three huh. best. Well, if you you take out the fact that the Yankees and Red Sox couldn't both advance, uh, the three best overall teams are still playing, and the hottest team. So, you know, the Astros. Do- you believe the I think hottest? the Astros, the Red Sox, and the Dodgers are are the three just most talented team, and the Brewers are just on fire. Yeah, and you know they're. Which what is they've all you done need to, is you know, right. All you need to do, right, is the, just be on fire yeah. at, this, at the right time at the right of the time. year. Yeah, they at chased the right down time. the Cubs at the end, and you know they. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch much of the Brewers Rockies series because most of those games were during the day, but it was a you know they ran right over Colorado, and who knows? I mean, it's a it should be good. I mean, this Astros Red Sox series is one of the better championship series I think we've had in a long time. These are two hundred win teams. They're they're the def- two best teams in baseball. Yeah, yeah, I think by a decent margin. So it's margin. best of five yeah. for this? And seven. Best of seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the World Series, which yep. is also best of seven, right? Yeah. So we got you must. Yeah, we got I'm, a lot of baseball to go. Baseball between. must be, the, the the TV networks must be loving the idea of Dodgers-Red Sox. But, oh, God. Um, oh, man. I don't know if anybody else would. Yeah. I was, <laughs> <laughs> in all fairness, I think this Dodgers team is both. Both of these teams are really fun. You know, um, I, I actually was making that point the other day. The even you put in the Yankees in this mix too. The Yankees, yeah. the Red Sox, and the Dodgers are all historically sorry, Bill, kind of hateable teams. They're like they're pretty hateable. I understand teams. that, but yeah, like but... these teams that like they're fun to watch. They're not as hateable as they used to be, uh, or usually are. I should say, like it's it's not a, it's not the worst thing in the world to read. Yeah, for. I mean you have, you know, for a for a league that's been talking about how to market young stars, you have a lot of them in this in this final four. Yeah. Um a lot of really fun players, especially in Boston and Houston. That series is just loaded with with young talented dudes and and then in Milwaukee, you know, you have Christian Yelich who just came out of nowhere to be an MVP candidate. I mean, he was a good player, but they trade for him and he you know, just on a tear for the last half of the season, and and then in LA you have maybe one of the greatest pitchers to ever pitch, uh, and a team that keeps getting back to this stage. And <laughs> and we had this nineteen-year-old boy wonder on the Nats, right? Yeah, right, right at the very end, the second greatest <laughs> young player in the National League East. It's a, it's like a two-man race for Rookie of the Year. Oh uh, yeah, between Acuna and I think Acuna, the Braves. I think Acuna probably sealed it with the way he finished the yeah, season and I then winning right. the division. But Soto, I mean, it's going to be the like the great thing about the East is the the Nats are going to bounce right back. I don't think the Braves are going anywhere with how much young talent they have. Yeah. The Phillies should only get better, and so what has been essentially a one-team division. For the last five or six years, I mean, whether it's you had the Nats and then this year the Braves ran away with it, 
I think next year you're, it's set up for this incredible division race. And then on top of that, you have Acuna and Juan Soto, who mm-hmm. might be battling for National League MVP awards for the foreseeable future. <laughs> yeah. For, I mean, they're both just remarkable talents. And and then, you know, you have more coming up in Washington with Victor Robles, and you have more coming up in, in Atlanta. They have some young pitchers and, and players that are they're both organizations are just stocked and yeah, you might lose Harper here, but I'd be surprised if they miss a beat. By the way, he's gone, yeah. right? Yeah, he's I think so. I mean yeah. yeah. I just don't think they're gonna I think he would he would stay if they gave him the sort of money he's gonna get from elsewhere, but I, it doesn't seem like they're going to. Right. They and they shouldn't, I don't think. I don't think they should give him the money that he wants. Well, think of the other talent that they could get yeah. with yeah, With well, the and that's they a, give him. Yeah, you yeah. could lock up Rendon, yeah. Trey Turner, Robles, Soto. I mean, it's they're loaded. They're loaded, and it'll be interesting to see. The thing is, they've always been kind of uh, the last couple of years. Yeah, they've been loaded, but they can't make it out of the first round if they even make it to the playoffs. Right. Hey, we've made it to the playoffs before, but right, but you can't. They can't get out of the first right. round. All right. So you're not going to believe this, but um, I actually read Mark Leibovitz's book about the NFL. Have you? I've not. Okay. <laughs> I just was, you know I'm not a sports fan. I've but consumed, I actually read his book. I've consumed maybe thirty minutes of football content of the NFL this year. I saw Eric Reed kneeled. And I watched a couple games. <laughs> what is this you've just given up on the NFL? Eh. The Braves were in the playoffs. Oh. <laughs> the I Kentucky's up. five and one. Well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, SEC football is a different story. Right. We can talk college football. Yeah, right. you know, I had to give up on the NFL. I just thought and I, it's not because of the kneeling thing or any of that, but like the, when they tried to sort of kowtow to Trump uh, last year or the offseason. disgusting. That, yeah. that was it for me. I was already off the wagon, right? Like I wasn't watching, but that to me was the last straw. But the thing that comes that that comes that I got out of this book. And I was interviewed a great writer and a good friend. So, um, but my takeaway from the book is like threefold. Number one, the lousy job that they've done with this whole kneeling thing. I mean, just mm-hmm. again, caving into Donald Trump and, and 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 making it a premise about the flag when it really wasn't right. about the flag at all. And and this this killing of young unarmed black kids by mostly white cops discontinues mm-hmm. and now in Chicago was a little different for the most part they get away with it so the way the NFL handled that number one number two the whole thing with the concussions and the CTE mm-hmm. that they still still do not take seriously and sort of write off and three that the owners are just the biggest bunch of worthless you know rich dudes rich dudes old billionaires <laughs> Uh, disgusting. Yeah, it's an old boys club. Yeah, and you know, I'm. I think the, you know, it goes back to this whole conversation about the the kneeling, which was. It's so they were so cynical and they so, you know, it's it's hard for me to believe that they were only kowtowing to Trump. They wanted it to stop. Their politics are wanting it to stop. Yeah. Right. Um, their politics are no politics unless it's our politics in football, and by that they mean. We need our stadium subsidies and our antitrust exemptions and our, you know, please throw out our lawsuits on 
healthcare and and whatnot. By the um, way, on the whole, taking a knee thing. Did you see this story about? You remember Mike Pence went to a game last year? Yes. Yeah. We had that story. My yeah, friend Aaron Gordon. Yeah, walked it. out, and it cost taxpayers three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and was also almost certainly staged. But like no he, politics and sports. Please. No, of course no, no, not. No, it was totally staged. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, he saying, went there so he mm-hmm. could walk out to make yeah. a point, and you know, it's it's the funny thing of because Donald Trump did the same thing last year at the college football national title game. And it's this like that's when he couldn't remember the words, right? But it's like no one's making the connection that they're using the flag as a prop. Yeah, they like. By the way, and they always have, right? They have flyovers, right? What do they cost? And it's this: who pays for them? And that's the the thing: is this is this is all goes back to they don't want the players to stand up. Well, they want them to stand up. They don't want them to stand up figuratively. They don't want them to speak out. They don't, you know, and especially the black players. And I, I thought it was amazing. This week that Eric Reed, who was the second player to start kneeling with Colin Kaepernick three years ago. He got a job. He, he got re-signed, yeah. which it was ridiculous, frankly, that it took this long. But he gets re-signed and he immediately kneels during the national anthem. <laughs> and I thought that was an incredibly powerful statement from him to say, like, you know, you can't shut me up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these guys Good are, these guys have been, they've done some remarkable work. And- you know, the fact that these guys are continuing these conversations because we've spent so much time talking about the kneeling and the protesting that what they've actually done has gotten very little coverage, which is pushing different states and law and meeting with lawmakers to to try and get new, better laws passed. Right. And, they do. and That's right. the conversation they... that they've had, the conversations that they've started, there's there's been actually actual on the ground work. Mm hmm. And that, the that people who invo- say they have been involved in. Right. It's not right, just that. directly involved in. They've yeah. been leading some of these conversations. And, right. the, and the fact that people say, you know, well, why, I wish they'd stop protesting and do something. Well, they are. <laughs> yeah. Right. They are. What what uh, has been the impact of Nike and Colin Kaepernick and their big uh, ad campaign? There's not. You know, that's that everybody it, loves to run around and boycott. We've already forgotten about it. Nobody's yeah. stopping watching. I mean, the everybody NFL said over this was going to bankrupt them, right? This no, was going to, no, Nike if does anything. You think of, if anything, it's helped them. Correct. Right? You think a company like Nike is going to make that decision if there's any risk that it bankrupts them? Not a chance. Uh, like, and this is absolutely. the thing: is like, I, I think it's not agree more. I think it's great that Nike centered Colin Kaepernick in that ad. I think we shouldn't lose perspective of the fact that Nike is also using Colin Kaepernick to reach an audience and and. You know, the ad wasn't exactly like gung ho, you know, it was kind of bland corporate stand upping. But you know, the the idea from the conservative sports world that you know, we're gonna burn our shoes. You already bought the shoes. <laughs> yeah, right. You already and paid you know Nike already has your money. Right. And also they'll go out and buy another pair right. tomorrow. <laughs> also like Yeah, it's ridiculous. I I you should. They should all go look at like Adidas's <laughs> politics and where they, who they donate to, and like, come on, get out of here. <laughs> Burning shoes. 
Like, my favorite was the guy. That, can like, I have the shoes? <laughs> my favorite was the guy that cut his socks. Like, oh yeah, the like country quarter, music. Guy. Yeah, the country music guy. It was like a quarter of the way down because the top quarter of his socks had the swoosh logo. Such a remarkable cell phone. So just, now you don't have socks, and now you got loose socks. <laughs> Van, our buddy Van Newkirk on Twitter was like, "You gotta really hate black people to do that because like loose socks are the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> and now you don't have socks, and no." The whole thing was just uh, yeah, it was silly. It's, I mean, this this whole it. the whole response to this has been silly. The whole response has been silly, and it's been a whole lot of telling on yourselves. Because like this is a this is what the flag represents. Did like it's there for that? You know, it's the first thing mm-hmm. that we talk about. It's the First Amendment, and but the you know it it just goes back. It's rooted in the idea that. Black athletes are there only for our entertainment, only for our enjoyment, and only to make money off of. Mm-hmm. And, and and they they are supposed to be, you always hear the word grateful. They're supposed to be grateful for that opportunity. Oh yeah, right. They're supposed to put their head down and go to work, mm-hmm. and they're supposed to forget that they're humans. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when they and step off the field, they're, they're humans, because a lot of these black athletes have been subjected to the same police issues. But, right. we're, but we want them to pretend they're not citizens. We want them to just go shut up and dribble, as what's-her-name said. And, you know, like, yeah. it's it's a ridiculous standard, and it's also, it's ahistorical. I mean, this has been a part of sports for as long as we've had sports. And and meanwhile, uh, what do they pay Roger Goodell? $200 million? No, I think it's like $40 million a year. Yeah. Good gig if you Rough get life, it. yeah. <laughs> and he's... He's done so much for yeah. the uh, for the reputation and the image of the uh, of the NFL. Lots to catch up on. Yeah, Glad you came in. Travis. Busy times. Thanks so much. I Thank know. you. The, all right. Uh, so, when is the runoff in Brazil? October twenty eighth. You going b- down for it? I'm gonna try. Okay. All right. Keep us up to date. Let I us will. Know. We I will for know sure. The outcome of this. Uh, when we come back, he is now on the Supreme Court. What does the court look like with the Brett Kavanaugh and Anil Gorsuch on it? What can we expect? Lydia Wheeler from The Hill has been following that. Uh, She joins us next here on The Bill Press Show. Quick break. We'll be right back. Take The Bill Press Show anywhere you go. Download our free podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes and catch the highlights from every show. Hey, here we go on Thursday, October 11. Good to have you with us, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. As we wrap up here with all the news of the day from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, uh, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for all of America's hardworking families. Uh, They are the people that give us great service at all the nation's big retail grocery chains, um, the people who stock the shelves and check us out and keep things rolling there. We salute them, thank them for their uh, great work and their support of the program. Check out their website at ufcw.org. Yes, we now we have a fully staffed now uh, Supreme Court with a new Supreme Court Justice, Brett Kavanaugh, sadly for many of us. Uh, what's the court going to look like? What's the imp- long-term impact of the court? What can we expect? And how's Kavanaugh doing so far? Uh, Lydia Wheeler's been inside the Supreme Court there um, for the last couple of days and joins us from the Hill 
and joins us in studio. It's nice to see you, Lydia. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming in. Um, so um, it looks like Kavanaugh just got to work and started asking questions and without a blip, right? That's right. So it was business as usual on Tuesday, um, which was the first day of oral arguments. Usually they start on Monday hearing cases, um, but that was a federal holiday, so the court was closed. Um, and it was tighter security on Tuesday for his first day. I think a lot of people were expecting there to be protesters, even inside the courthouse. Um, but it was quiet. The steps were quiet. Uh, there was a line of people waiting for the general public seats. Um, and there had been protesters every day last week, both in front of the Capitol, but also across the street in front of the Supreme Court. Right. So the hundreds protesters just hundreds disappeared. Right. So, uh, or were on, they not allowed to protest? Well, on Tuesday, I showed up and I was expecting there to be the same t type of crowds that we had seen over the weekend. And when I got to the courthouse on Tuesday morning, uh, a little after eight o'clock, it was empty. Um, and there were just the people who were waiting in line. And uh, so I started chatting with the people who were there and actually the people who were waiting for general seats. Some of them were just honestly interested in the cases that were being heard that day, which really weren't um, that big or blockbuster cases. Yeah, and then right. actually um, several of them were Kavanaugh supporters. There was a uh, one woman there with about four of her girlfriends. Um, she's from D.C. and her friends are from Northern Virginia. And they said that they were um, they're there to support Kavanaugh and actually take some of the seats for people who they thought might be wanting to disrupt the proceedings. So they were trying to stand in line to say, you know, you can't you can't sit here. We're going to take these seats. And um, sometimes you're never sure, like um, if the new justices are going to wait a little bit before they speak up. But he didn't. Right. Not really. It was about 20 minutes into the arguments when he started asking his first questions of the day. Um, I mean, the new justice. On Do the they bench. go in order of seniority? Um, in asking questions? Typically. So the the new justice has to cede his time to someone who's more senior than him. So there were some, there, and this happened on Wednesday as well, there were some awkward moments where he would start to ask a question and kind of be interrupted by maybe Elena Kagan, um, who is seated, seated right next to him. And so he would have to stop and let them go first. Mm-hmm. So he's the junior for sure. Right. Yeah. So in the most junior justice on the court um, kind of gets the, the job of, of manning the cafeteria duty. Um, so he has to head that <laughs> committee. Um, right. I, yeah. The way the court works, it's all about seniority uh, there and in tradition. And so, um, you know, he'll have uh, cafeteria duty until a new justice um, comes on and um, kind of elevates him to a more senior position. It was unusual, I felt, to see all the other eight justices in the White House Sunday night for this mock swearing in. I mean, he had, he was already sworn in Saturday night by the Chief Justice and Justice Anthony Kennedy. Um, so he was already, in effect, seated, and they, they had this ceremony with the president Sunday night just for the TV cameras and... Right and supporters. It was really just a ceremonial swearing in. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but but it, it turned out to be almost a, not almost, I mean, I think it turned out to be a political rally. You know, uh, Trump gave a speech, Kavanaugh gave a speech, Mitch McConnell got a standing ovation, you know. That's true. I think uh, Trump really wanted his chance to apologize to Brett Kavanaugh in front yeah, of the public on behalf of the nation, which he did, yes. Yeah, right. But so the, for the other justices to be there sort of letting almost almost as if they were letting themselves be used as political pawns. I was I question, I understand why they felt they had to go, sure. but at the same time, 
It was a questionable event. I right. Believe. I don't think you're alone in that view. Um, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised to see all of them attend that event because he had already been sworn in, as you said, earlier on the weekend to start his duties right away. Um, but the court really uh, cares a lot about collegiality and getting along. I mean, they're going to have to work with this guy for, you know, the rest of their time on the bench. These are lifetime appointments. So, you know, what happens in the confirmation process kind of, you know, doesn't they try not to let affect them and how they interact with each other. Uh, and then I believe it was Monday, uh, and I'm still trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about. The President Trump was asked about um, whether he might have any other appointments, any more appointments to the Supreme Court. And he actually said that he might have, and he was talking about in his first term, like even next year, two or three or maybe even four. Now, I ask you, Okay, everybody says you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is what, 85, right? I think she's 87 at this 87? point. 87, okay. Right. But she's still in pretty good form. You know, I've interviewed she, her a couple of times. She's pretty sharp. She works out every day. Works out every day. <laughs> so we wonder, we, I pray for her long life every day. But who else is he thinking about? I think he's maybe thinking Clarence Thomas might step down. That was rumored um, last term when Anthony Kennedy, there were all the rumors circulating that he was getting ready to retire. A lot of people thought maybe Clarence Thomas is also considering it. Um, he's not 80 yet, is he? No. Uh, well, he might be. Um, I think he, he's either Late 79. 70s. Yeah, I think he's either. I think he's 79. Um, but yeah. Justice Breyer is a late 70s. He is. Um, and so, you know, he's getting up in age. And so maybe that's the thought. But I think it's wishful thinking on Trump's part to think he's going to get maybe more than one. I think the only person who possibly would would maybe give an opening would be Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But, you know, she said she's going to serve as long as she physically can and is able. So who knows how long that is. Right. Uh, but beyond, if you get beyond Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Steve Breyer, Clarence Thomas, the rest of them are all fairly young. Right. We're having a resurgence on the bench um, where it was a, a very older court and now it's become much younger with Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Justice Elena Kagan, Justice Sonia Sotomayor. They're all fairly young. Yeah. Alito is, what, the 60s maybe or something? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I don't, I don't know what, I can't figure out what no, Trump I think, was talking about. I think that was wishful thinking on okay. Trump's part. He won't have that many appointments to right. make. On and, then, and then, um, the other question that came up is, what if there is um, a vacancy next year? This is a leading into a presidential, or, or in 2020. Uh, this is a presidential election year in 2020. Um, and the question to Mitch McConnell was, would you entertain a nominee in 2020 or follow the same rule you followed in 2016, which is we will not let the president decide, we will let the American people decide Meaning, of course, Merrick Garland went an entire year sure. without a hearing. And Mitch McConnell, surprise, surprise, says, oh, no, 2020 will be different. <laughs> of course. Uh, well, Because our guy's in charge. Right. Uh, well, I think it all has to do with what happens um, with this midterm election. And, and if uh, Democrats are able to get control of the Senate, um, it looks like they could take back or they could take control of the House. And so um, but particularly it's all about the leadership in the Senate, because, you know, if Democrats are in control and, you know, Trump does get another um, vacancy on the court before 2020, you know, they could say, we're, we're not filling that. You know, we're not going to fill that seat. They, they could really hold it open for years, right? Right. I mean, we could I, we could end up with the same situation that we had with Merrick Garland, um, unless if Trump might be open to just confirming Merrick Garland and moving him into that seat. You know, maybe that would be something that Democrats uh, would agree to. You know, they... 
They feel like that was a seat stolen from him. What are the big cases uh, in front of the court this year? So the, the court actually seems a little bit um, a slower pace this year. There's not a lot of blockbusters, but there's a lot of uh, cases kind of waiting in the wings. Um, there's some cases that have to deal with whether um, sex anti-discrimination um, in labor laws extend to people who are um, extend to sexual orientation and people who are transgender. Uh, there is the North Carolina partisan gerrymandering case that's working its way back before the court. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think this is more of a wait and see term yet. The court, as it it's kind of moving on and hearing cases, it's always um, granting or denying cases kind of as we're moving through, through the term. So it's a lot of, of wait and see right now. Um, yeah, I... I... I'm glad to hear you say that, not, uh, because I'd been looking and no great big affirmative action case coming up or not no yet. big Obamacare coming up. Now, uh, some of these cases you mentioned could get there this year or still right. could They're, get there, but not yet. Not yet. They're in the pipeline. A couple of these cases are actually before the Supreme Court. There's been petitions to the court asking the court to hear the cases, um, and just the the Supreme Court hasn't acted on those yet. There's one um, case that's currently sitting before them that they haven't des- decide whether they will take it or not, and it has to do with separation of powers. There is a cross in Montgomery County, Maryland, um, that is there for World War One. Um, uh, uh, veterans who died in the war, um, and it's in the shape of a cross. And so there's a fight over whether or not um, that violates the Establishment Clause of the Constitution, which says that the government can't establish one religion over another. The lower courts have said, hey, you either have to get rid of that cross or you have to deconstruct it, meaning maybe take the arms off the cross uh, yeah. <laughs> so that it's not there. Um, so that is a case that they they might take, and that would be an, an interesting question. Uh, and is it fair, as a lot of people have said, that from, so the, under this new court, that instead of Anthony Kennedy, that John Roberts is the new, the chief justice is the new swing vote? I mean, that's what it's looking like, that he could be this, the new swing vote. But um, I don't think you're going to see a dramatic swing like we did with Anthony Kennedy. Um, he's I mean, still I a conservative. Mean, John Roberts, yeah, is still pretty conservative, Correct. right? I mean, yeah. you don't count on him for suddenly becoming a moderate. No, not by any means. Um, so it'll be um, a slighter swing. You know, there, it won't be as dramatic as, as Anthony Kennedy. But yeah, I think everyone's looking for him as the one who's going to be in the middle here. Um, but it's really it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. And he is going to try to bring the court into consensus as often as he can. That's something he's really worked on um, because he really is worried about the public's perception of the court. He doesn't want um, the public to view it this as another political body. And so if they keep ruling on blockbuster cases and coming down in 5-4 rulings, you know, along, you know, ideological lines, it just looks like another branch of government that's, you know, run by politics. Well, I don't think anybody wants the court to be seen as just another political body, but isn't it a isn't it a fact that now the court is seen as another political body after in the wake of this Kavanaugh confirmation uh, circus? I mean, and particularly after Brett Kavanaugh's totally political attack on the Democrats on the Senate Judiciary Committee threatening them, if I get on the court you're going to pay the price. What goes around comes around. I mean, 
He basically ran that as a political campaign. Right. Know? Well, that's what a, a lot just, of people are thinking. And, and that, doesn't that hurt the reputation and the image of the court? My sources, my sources are definitely telling me that that is um, a stain for him. That is, um, it was a misstep, and that's going to be hard for Kavanaugh to recover but, from. But I'm talking, yeah, for him. But mm-hmm. how about for the court? It also impacts the court, and I think that's why you might see this term, um, the Supreme Court, a little bit more reluctant to take on those bigger issue cases because they're worried about the public's perception, especially after this vicious partisan fight that we just had over their new justice. So this might actually kind of end up being a little bit of a lackluster term because they don't want to take on these big, divisive, you know, politically charged issues, you know, and then, you know, rule issue rulings that are split 5-4. Right. Um, and won't it he have to recuse himself from any cases that have, like, any kind of a partisan nature to them. I mean, there are there are times when Democratic senators will file lawsuits against particular legislation or policies that they don't like. I mean, if there's right. if there's a clear division between Republicans and Democrats on a case, I mean, how can Kavanaugh pretend to judge them fairly and objectively. Outside groups are going to be calling for him to recuse himself, but really it's up to the justices to decide if they're each going to... Each justice, right. Each justice makes that own determination as the to whether or not... The chief justice can say, you can't rule on this. Um, I think the chief justice can maybe whisper in his ear and give him some advice and say, you know, maybe this wouldn't look great if you did. I'm not sure what happens behind closed doors. Um, but ultimately, the way that it works is that it's it's the individual justice's decision. They usually recuse themselves from cases that, say, they heard or worked on in the lower court. Um, so if it was an issue that he worked on as on the D.C. Circuit, it it you know, very well possible that he would be expected to recuse himself. But, you know, the likely chances that he would recuse himself from, you know, just because it's a democratically aligned group challenging a Republican action doesn't necessarily, I I can't see that happening. Susan Collins says she's confident that uh, Brett Kavanaugh, given the opportunity, would not vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. Do you agree? You know, he's staunchly conservative and, you know, justices can say one thing while they're sitting, you know, in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee and in front of senators. Um, and then it's another thing when they come onto the court. You know, the, the yes, the Supreme Court does say that we respect our own precedent. Um, we like to, to follow our own precedent, but they're not shy in overturning it. They have done so in the past. Um, so it depends on what the case is that comes before the court and whether or not they take that this term. I mean, I think everyone, a lot of the uh, those on the left are worried that Brett Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court are going to take up, you know, an issue or a case challenging Roe v. Wade right away. Um, but, you know, I don't I don't see that happening immediately. I think that they will wait for the right challenge to come before them. But, yeah, I think it's very possible that Brett Kavanaugh would, you know, be a vote to to decide to either limit Roe or, um, you know, obviously or, or possibly get rid of it altogether. Yeah. I mean, my own conviction is he would not have been on the list if he had not made that pledge. And that Donald was a litmus Trump. test for President Trump was saying, I want someone who will overturn Roe v. Wade. And he, he was said not that shy over about and that. over and over again. Correct. Uh, and uh, two things. Uh, Kavanaugh himself in that one memo when he was uh, at the White House was, yeah, settled law means basically if you got enough votes, you unsettle it. So Settled law doesn't really mean anything if you, until you get enough votes to overturn it. Right? That's, that's been the way they've worked in the past. I mean, yeah. just last term they overturned I mean, a couple of their um, prior precedents. Um, so it's not like we, this never happens. Um, 
But, you know, they also look at a bunch of different factors, how the public has relied on this law over the years, what impact it would have. Um, so there could be some other factors at play. Also, they, short of actually voting to overturn Roe v. Wade, they could, through other other cases and other means, um, limit so limit access to uh, to abortion that it could have the same impact. In other words, there are other ways that they could. I they think that might be more get, likely um, that instead have of the just, same result without actually overturning. Correct. Instead of just issuing a decision that just blanketly overturns Roe, we might see cases that kind of limit Roe and make uh, women's access to abortion more difficult. Um, I saw this morning that there have been several petitions filed challenging Brett Kavanaugh's um, testimony, I guess, and things that he said in the testimony. Um, and basically that he didn't tell the truth in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee as a judge, not telling the truth, and that the, the, the chief justice referred those cases to an appeals court in Colorado. He did. The Tenth Circuit, he, who moved them, uh, he moved those But isn't those that unusual? That so this is a guy now, he just took his seat on the Supreme Court, and there are lawsuits against him for lying to Congress? Pretty unusual. But I think what the chief justice, you know, I think he referred it to another court um, because partly because, you know, they don't want to be deciding on things that have to do with their own colleague. That looks like a little bit of a conflict. Of yeah, interest. I can see why he didn't want it in D.C. because that right that, that sure. they've been judges together. Right. So they have to judge their colleague. Exactly. But even the fact that these cases then. It's possible, depending on how the appeals court in Colorado rules, that these cases could be found. um um, justifiable and could move forward against a sitting Supreme Court justice. I mean, it's always possible, but I think it's really difficult to impeach a, a sitting Supreme Court justice. So um, whether or not these are will these actually go anywhere. These, are these impeachment filings? I, or I don't believe so, but I think that it could be something that Democrats could use as an argument to maybe impeach him if they come into power and take control of the Senate, but, um, you know, and they get control of the House. But whether or not that'll all play out, you know, kind of remains to be seen. I don't know what organizations filed these. I have to look more into it, but um, Off the top of my head, I can't tell you, unfortunately. Yeah, but, um, yeah. I just thought it was a very, certainly very, very unusual uh, um, occurrence of events. Uh, in the last couple of days, and you were there both days, uh, there's a story that yesterday, apparently, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh differed, maybe, it appeared to differ on an immigration issue. Right. So this is an immigration case that had to deal with whether or not the government can um, pick people up years um, that pick, I should say, immigrants up that committed crimes and have already served their time um, and that serve their time for a criminal offense that then um, makes them eligible for deportation. Um, you know, they committed a removable offense, whether or not the government can then pick them up years later off after they've already been released from jail or prison. I mean, there is- And serve their time. And serve their time. And and then, you know, while they're going through the removal proceedings, be subjected to mandatory detention. And, you know, Brett Kavanaugh uh, Brett was, you know, squarely kind of seemed, you know, to say that Congress didn't write this into the statute. He didn't, they didn't want to set a time limit on when the government could pick people up and, and stick them in detention. Um, but Neil Gorsuch seemed to think that, you know, maybe there be should be some limits on this. He said, really? Can can the can the Department of Homeland Security scoop people up 30 years after they've already served their time for this offense and have been living in the community and, you know, raising families, holding jobs? He's like, 
30 years, 50 years? Like, is there any sort of limit on this? And so um, it was one of those times where Neil Gorsuch seemed to actually be siding with some of the more liberal members of the bench. Who would have thunk it? (laughs) Right? Yeah. I mean, it was unusual, but uh, yeah, he was asking a lot of questions. But, you know, then at the same time, you know, they always say that we ask tough questions of both parties. Um, so, you know, the questions on the and on the bench might not be a signal of how he might rule in That's, the long run. That, that is one thing we've learned, that you cannot read too much into the oral arguments. Oh, the media certainly tries. I mean, we try. That's a, that's kind of my job. But, <laughs> I mean, I always like to leave arguments and, and think, how, you know, how, how are they coming down on this? And, and you can get a lot of signals from oral arguments. But at the same time, sometimes, yeah, it's really hard to tell because they do. They ask questions of both sides. You can be proven you can be also proven wrong sometimes yes we're very wrong (laughs) yeah right so um what do you how do you see then with brett kavanaugh on there the the roberts court is it uh, the most conservative court we've ever had I don't know about the most conservative court that we've ever had, um, but it is uh, going to be uh, decisively conservative um, for about a generation to come. I mean, I think what we're going to see is Brett Kavanaugh will routinely and regularly side um, on the same side as Justice Clarence Thomas, which in his first term, Neil Gorsuch followed suit with Thomas as well. So I think you're going to see, you know, the camp of Thomas, Gorsuch, you know, Kavanaugh, Alito, all. So you have um, we have then a Supreme Court that is decidedly to the right of where the rest of the country is politically. That's correct. Yeah. So we have a more conservative court. And, um, you know, I think that's why, you know, the left is so afraid that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, um, you know, will either step down or um, that will, you know, she could uh, unfortunately pass away. You know, I think they're, the left is really worried about that because if Trump gets that other seat, that's you know makes the court even more conservative. And uh, is the chief motivation uh, for uh, the left to um, get back the Senate on November six, <laughs> and therefore that's one way to, to make sure there there won't be any uh, more conservatives on the court. Hey, Lydia, it's great to see you today. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for, for having all your good me. work there from the Hill. Thehill.com. Have a great this Thursday, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Show.